Previously on the Zuring System. Once Annabelle starts openly criticizing Jens Zuring, the circle of friends shuts her out. At the same time, Zuring's attorney starts sending her threatening messages. This all occurs during a stellar period for Zuring and his team, because shortly beforehand, in December 2019, he is unexpectedly released and deported to Germany. Annabelle is there for the moment of his release and for the media circus that follows. The Zuring System, a podcast series from CCC Cinema and Television and Argon Lab 2022. Please note, this podcast contains graphic descriptions of physical and sexual violence that are not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 8 of 8, Control. Jens Suring has achieved his goal. He has been released from prison. When he arrives at Frankfurt Airport on December 17, 2019, he is greeted by hordes of photographers and TV crews and gives a press conference. In the two years following his release, he will go on to appear countless times in the German media. Jens Zuring has meticulously planned his return to Germany. Interviews, the publication of his latest book, speeches on resilience, many of his dreams for the future come true. And yet, there's just one nagging detail. He remains guilty as charged. Zuring is free. What now? Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. After 33 years, 6 months, and 25 days, I'm so happy to finally, finally be here in Germany. This is so wonderful. I'm so happy. This is the best day of my life. When he arrives at Frankfurt Airport, Jens Zurich suddenly becomes a physical presence in the lives of his supporters. He enters a world that no longer has much in common with the one he knew. Cell phones, tablets, touchscreens. There are so many aspects of our daily lives that he will need to adjust to. For Zuring and his circle of friends, a new day has dawned. They also now have a new mission. These are Annabelle's last days as one of Zuring's supporters, because shortly after his release, she begins to criticize the Zuring system, and he turns on her. Annabelle remembers her final days as a member of the Circle of Friends. Zuring has big plans for the future. He sees himself as an author, guest, and speaker in the German media. So there was a PR team based in Berlin, and they traveled all the way to Frankfurt solely for the purpose of, you know, discussing media strategies. According to Annabelle, journalists had already boarded the plane in Washington, D.C. 
in order to interview Zuring on his way to Germany. Zuring is accompanied by journalists on the trip from Frankfurt to Hamburg. The next morning, journalists are standing in front of the home where he is staying. Zuring had divided up the time after his release into phases while he was still in prison. He drew up a detailed schedule for every week following his extradition, including vacation time in a so-called safe zone. But more than anything, he actually orchestrated his media appearances, starting with his reception at the airport. His supporters send a welcome committee to Frankfurt Airport, rent a conference room, and organize a press conference. Zuring lets his supporters know in advance that he will have nothing with him. No money, no suitcase, nothing. He announces what color clothing he will have on. He says if no one is waiting for him when he arrives, then he will approach strangers at the airport until he finds someone who has seen the movie Killing for Love and is willing to help him. In fact, his arrival generates a great deal of interest. Jens Zuring is greeted at the airport by a flurry of flashbulbs and cameras accompany him on his way to the airport conference room. There, he gives a brief statement. And, and I couldn't have done it. I could not have done it without the people who have supported me for so many years. It's so incredible. They are truly, truly wonderful people. Also the people in the United States, my friends and supporters there. But today I am here with my German supporters and friends, and I'm so happy and so grateful to them. Jens Zuring does not take any questions from journalists, but allows time to be photographed and filmed with his supporters. They hug him with tears of joy. Ach Gott, ja. Und, um, Sie werden verstehen, oh, dass right, das and yes, certainly you'll understand that all of this is truly overwhelming for me and that for the time being, I'll need to take a step back for a minute and collect myself. I... I will need to mentally and emotionally adjust to my arrival here in Germany. I have not set foot in this country in three decades. I hope you can understand that. Thank you all for taking so much interest in my situation and my life. I will get in touch after a few weeks once I have settled in here. And most of all, once I have spent time with my friends whom I have missed so much and whom I would now like to finally spend some time with, so please, I hope you can understand. Please give me some time to be with my friends and to settle in. Thank you again. I am, I am so happy. I am so happy. Thank you. Thank you. A reporter from the German newspaper Die Welt offers a live commentary on the press conference. He did not say anything about his guilt or innocence at this time, or anything about his former girlfriend who is still incarcerated in the U.S. Once again, there was absolutely no mention of the murders. Zuring's performance is reminiscent of a pop star. He is once again able to find the right adoring words for his fans while maintaining an air of mystery. In order to sell his story, Zuring develops a marketable persona. He tells his supporters how he intends to develop the Zuring brand. In fact, this personal brand 
begins to take shape more and more with every public appearance. According to Suring's plan, his interviews on television, in digital and print media, and on social media all need to focus on three topics. He has also defined a matching image for each theme. First are the events surrounding the murders, the image being that of a romantic hero. Second is the so-called miscarriage of justice, the image being that of a warrior fighting for what's right. And third is survival in prison, the image being that of the survivor. By establishing this personal brand from day one, Zuring is laying down the foundation for later appearances as an author or a public speaker. As he informs his circle of friends, he wants to earn a lot of money very quickly. He tells them that making money is top priority, thereby introducing another theme that he will return to time and again. He also connects his release with the idea of money. In interviews, he claims that he was denied an absolute pardon in the United States because that would have meant that the state of Virginia would have had to pay him some sort of compensation. On the contrary, however, in Virginia, an absolute pardon does not automatically mean that financial compensation will be granted. Nevertheless, it is in this context, in connection with his re-entry, that he starts to solicit donations in order to set the stage for his return to Germany. Annabelle remembers one particular generous donor, who is also the reason why Zuring moves to Hamburg. There was this one person who contacted him and she basically offered him endless financial resources. That's what I was told. And she said, you know, I have connections to the German tabloid build. I have connections to the Markus Lanz show team. And obviously that was quite tempting for Jens. The one thing, you know, you can catch Jens with is money. Jens has no loyalty to anyone except to himself and to money. That is my own perception, my own opinion based on my personal experiences. So Zuring is not lacking in terms of financial support. Plus, most of his attorneys also work pro bono, a privilege that many offenders could only dream of. Re-entry plans for Germany. Zuring has a clear idea about what the period after his release will look like. In an email he sends out in 2017 to his extended circle of friends, which at the time numbers around 70 people, he describes his future in Germany. Dear all, now that my return to Germany seems ever more likely, I have spent considerable time and effort thinking about the kind of life I might have in my Heimat. So today I want to write you about that, my future in Germany. Up to this point, Zuring has never worked a nine-to-five job. His education is limited to his freshman year at the University of Virginia. I am a 50-year-old man with no formal education and no work experience. This makes me essentially unemployable in the regular job market. No sensible company would hire me. Nevertheless, Zuring can imagine a number of possible careers for himself, including used car salesman, a job that has been offered to him by a friend. 
He owns his own business, selling used cars to Russia, and he's done very well. The problem he sees with this possible career. I speak no Russian. I do not have a driver's license. And I know nothing about cars. Nevertheless, Zuring is hopeful. I believe that I have the kind of personality that would make me an effective and successful salesperson. Zuring believes that the best place for him would be somewhere in the world of media, as he mentions in the email to his extended circle of friends. So it seems like the most realistic possibility for finding work in Germany, the media industry. And in the media world, my lack of formal education and work experience don't matter. In fact, I have some work experience in the media industry, 10 books and dozens of TV appearances. In the same email, he expresses confidence that Angela Merkel, the German chancellor who was coming up for re-election, would benefit from meeting him. What do you think? I am not going to try to get 30 minutes with Angela? Or rather, you think Angela doesn't want 30 minutes with me? Remember, she's running for re-election this fall, and she can claim she helped free me, smiley wink wink. So why not a nice feel-good story with me? He claims to be able to offer advice on how people can break out of difficult situations in their lives, out of their own personal prisons. In another idea for the future that he pitches to his circle of friends, Zuring describes what he will later expand upon under the heading of resilience, how to become resilient and never deviate from your chosen path. What's most interesting about his concept is when he describes his take on the word reframing, that you can take a group of facts, look at them from a different perspective, and effectively reinterpret them. Looking at facts from a different perspective, is it possible that Jens Zuring simply reframed the murders of Nancy and Derek Hasem? Or that he reinterpreted any facts that would implicate him? At any rate, his business model is 100% based on his claims of innocence. He has effectively turned his version of the story into an economic model, as Annabelle explains. The first thing is he wants to be pardoned by the media. And the second is he wants to earn as much money as he possibly can. That is the one thing he cares about. And of course, he sees himself as a victim and everyone else is bad. And he has said a couple of times, you know, there's no way that a traditional career path, you know, a nine to five office job or th something like that would ever work for him. So when he was still in prison, he started writing speeches because he thought he could, you know, share his experiences on, say, for example, resilience. And the thing with this career path is this entire career is based on the fact that he spent 30 years in prison as an innocent man. And that's why he's so adamant about his innocence claim, because that is the basis of his entire future career. The Jens Zuring brand. The Jens Zuring brand is well received by most German media outlets. The romantic hero who has finally returned home the warrior for justice and the resilient survivor. The media buys into his self-construed images. And what's more, all of the plans he has made over the years seem to come to fruition, as the following clips from German media coverage demonstrates. 
the romantic hero. And that's why we're not talking about guilt or innocence, but rather about your new life and your newfound freedom, because that's what you've written a book about. Good evening, Jens Söring. And at this point, it's important to point out, uh, you're, we can't say for sure whether you're guilty or innocent, but the fact of the matter is you're out on parole, you haven't been declared innocent. What does it feel like for you to be free but not acquitted? In your life, you've had, it's a long, long time ago now, a very toxic relationship with one woman. With this in the rear view, can you see yourself starting over, falling in love again, starting a new relationship? What do you envision for the rest of your life, for example, when it comes to relationships? Your first serious relationship ended in disaster, as we have discussed. While you were in prison, you had a platonic relationship with a woman on the outside, but clearly there was a limit to her patience. Now that you're free, can you see yourself as a friend, a life partner, a husband or a father? The Warrior for Justice You have said that your time in prison felt like living through a war. For most of us, what we know about prison is only what we see on television. And as we know, American prisons are considered to be tougher than German ones. We're talking about violence, prostitution, drugs, criminality, rape. How much did this play out in your day-to-day life? We're talking to him right now about his time in prison, about what such a long time behind bars can do to a person, how you survive under these conditions. Other than being locked in, what would you say was the hardest part? The noise? The stench? What did the average day look like for the inmate number 179212? The resilient survivor. This resilience that you've talked about, this inner strength, more than anything, this ability to survive everything that you've been through these 33 years, where did you find it? Is it a skill that can be acquired over time? The fact that you were able to do it, that you were able to find the inspiration inside of yourself and use it to write books, Zuring seems practically hell-bent on establishing a media presence. The news magazine Der Spiegel writes a long article about him together with a photo shoot. Zuring appears on the German television station SVR and the radio station Deutschlandfunk. Since his appearance on Markus Lanz's talk show in 2020, he has appeared regularly on other German talk shows. In September 2021, he begins promoting his new book, which he titles Rückkehr ins Leben, or Return to Life. In the fall of 2021, Zuring appears as a guest on a talk show broadcast on the German television station NDR. At the very top of the show, the host starts out by stating that the question of Zuring's guilt cannot be definitively determined here and now. He introduces his guest by telling the audience that the two of them are roughly the same age, However, one of them has spent his life behind bars, without an education or a regular job, locked away. Zuring never gives up, not during his imprisonment and not after his release. That is the image of him that is spread in the media, 
And it is the image that best fits with his personal brand, the survivor, and the innocent man. Time and again, he claims that he is innocent, that this knowledge gave him something to fight for. He also mentions this on the Andy Air talk show. And it is this circumstance that sets him apart from most of his fellow inmates. In September 2021, Richard David Precht, a German TV philosopher and talk show host, offers Zuring another platform on which to tell his version of the story with no dissenting opinion at Phil Cologne, an international philosophy festival. After the event, a recording of the discussion was posted online and removed a couple of months later. Precht emphasizes the fact that both men are of the same age. They refer to each other informally by their first names. Precht insists that, at his trial, Zuring was effectively guilty until proven innocent, convicted for a crime for which there were no witnesses. He describes Jim Updike as an aggressive attack dog who was out to make a name for himself as a great public prosecutor. He contrasts this with the supposed weakness of Zuring's attorney. In short, Precht literally speaks for Zuring, at times even using Zuring's own words to do so. He not only quotes Zuring's books, but he also goes as far as to say the things that Zuring cannot for legal reasons. For example, he repeats the accusations against Elizabeth Haysom that Zuring has been legally prohibited from making. And then one day, she comes home and tells you that she murdered her parents. Now we've come to this part of the story. Yes, and we have to be very careful about what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say here. So now you can tell us as much as you're allowed. A few minutes later, Zuring starts talking about the so-called reverse racism that he claims he experienced in prison as a young white man. Once again, Presch speaks on Zuring's behalf. How long was it before some huge black guy was standing behind you? Zuring then explains his questionable theory as follows. As we all know, American society is extremely racist, and in prison, blacks are the majority, not whites, and they take their revenge. That's why almost every young white prisoner gets raped. It's a form of justice. On the other hand, when it fits his narrative, Zuring aligns himself with the black community. For example, when discussing that all of them, himself included, were against Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election and were therefore pro-Trump. Presch never questions Zuring's worldview. At no point in the discussion does he take a critical look at his claims of innocence. Reflections Upon his return to Germany in 2019, Zuring moves to Hamburg. At first, he stays with a family to whom he is extremely grateful, as he says in interviews. His circle of friends remain at his side. He is given a place to live, receives money and job offers, and is treated like a freedom fighter. Once again, in this situation, Zuring has to rely on his trusted, exclusive inner circle, of which he remains the center of attention. Klaus Antons 
Ja, da ist er von der Gruppe abhängig. Yes, he is dependent on the group. And on the other side, I think that the group also supports his delusions of grandeur. This narcissistic moment of, wow, look at me. This mechanism, which Klaus Antons describes here, is something that Annabelle also experiences. Shortly after Zuring returns to Germany, she is cast out of the group for criticizing him. When he says that he wants to register a false address in Germany in order to evade Elizabeth Haysom's attorneys, Annabelle doesn't mince words. From this moment on, she is excluded from the group. He didn't need me anymore. You know, I had become completely and utterly expendable. He didn't need anyone to translate documents or prepare presentations. Didn't need anyone to send him newspaper clippings via the JPA prison system. All of that was no longer needed. Looking back, Annabelle judges her own actions very harshly. I feel that I have allowed him to take advantage of me. I'm not the kind of person who likes to point the finger at someone else to say, you know, this is your fault. In those kinds of situations, when your life changes like that, I tend to look at myself and try and to see where the fault lies with me. I could sit here and say, you know, the filmmakers, they should have done due diligence. They should have, you know, made a much more objective film. But that is their wrongdoing and if they want they can try and rectify that but I can't do that for them I carry the burden of what I've done wrong you could say I witnessed this happen to others and so at the end of the day you know when it happened to me maybe that's karma but the thing is when that happens you're basically you know you're staring at a deep, dark hole, and everything that you did for so many years is completely worthless. And um, I felt very ill at the time because it was just too much and I couldn't cope because, you know, my whole life had come crashing down and I was actually left with not much. Annabelle has decided to go public with her story. This decision has opened her up to attacks. She is critical of her former role as a member of the Circle of Friends and warns against the dynamics coming from Zuring and his team, something she has personally experienced. I voluntarily played a very active role in helping to distort the public perception of this case, you know, through all the things that I worked on and all the things that I helped with. And to me, it's important to set the record straight. That is my main motivation, partly for myself and also partly for those people who've been hurt by all of this. The Hasem family, they've had their name dragged into the public domain again and again and again for the past 30 years. I don't know how they've managed to cope with all of that. Jens Zering and his circle of friends, his Freundeskreis, they never gave the Hasem family a second thought. The stance was always, you know, Elizabeth Hasem is the devil and uh, she's lied so much and um, this is what she deserves. It is um, selective perception. 
American defense lawyer and translator Andrew Hamill wants journalists to do their due diligence and take a closer look at their subjects. At the same time, he can understand why so many people feel sympathy for Zuring. Yin Zuring can present himself as, in many ways, he's a likable person with many admirable personality characteristics. You know, he's a good writer, he's intelligent, he has some compassion, um, and he has a real desire to communicate with people and uh, is very good at it. You know, he's likable, he has interests and hobbies, and he managed to survive 33 years in a maximum security prison, which is an amazing accomplishment no matter what he did previously. Many of Zuring's supporters don't just find him likable. They truly believe he is innocent. And so, you know, they choose to look for the best in him because they like him already, because they've talked to him and they find him sympathetic and funny and likable. And the more they find him sympathetic, funny and likable, the harder it becomes for them to reconcile that image of this nice, diminutive, well-read, literate German guy with the brutal killer who butchered these two human beings. They just can't imagine how those things could go together. Terry Wright's report, which picks apart Zuring's claims of innocence down to the last detail, is available to read on the internet. But I can say as an outsider, first of all, I am almost certain that uh, none of those people has read the Terry Wright report. I know that John Grisham hasn't read it. He's told me that. I'm pretty sure most of the other ones haven't. And you know why? Because they, they're afraid of it. Because, you know, they're afraid that if they read the whole report, it will become clear to them that they were fooled by a very convincing con man. And it's always really, you know, a real humiliation to admit that you have been conned. That would be my guess as to why they still cling to his innocence. Retired British detective Terry Wright also understands why there are so many people out there who want to help and support Zuring. If you genuinely believed that he's innocent, wouldn't you want to help him? Most of us would, wouldn't we? Uh, and the people believe he's innocent because they haven't been told the real facts. They've only been told the facts according to Jan Suring. This is another reason why Wright authored his extensive report in the hopes that it can serve as the basis for the public to form their own nuanced opinion of the case. Jan Schoen's been released now. He's, uh, in the eyes of the law, he's, he's served his time and he's now a free man. And the only reason I'm here talking to you guys is because uh, he's returned to Germany and he's now making a living, and quite a good living from what I hear, um, out of telling the same pack of lies that he's been telling for the last 30 years. Um, I'd quite happily put all these papers away and forget all about it. However, as long as Zuring and his team spread what, as Terry Wright sees it, are lies, he will not rest. As long as he keeps on telling the lies, I'm going to keep telling the truth. And that's what motivates me. I don't think that he should be able to make a good living out of murdering two people. Zuring has carefully crafted a precise image of himself in the media. According to Annabelle, however, this image has little in common with the real Jens Zuring. She says that he is completely aware of the effect that he has on people. Jens, I think Jens portrays himself or even sees himself as a calm, level-headed person. 
But in reality, that calm, collected person doesn't really exist, in my experience. He is someone who sees things very black and white. He doesn't really understand the nuances of interactions and of human uh, life. He's either totally euphoric or completely inconsolable. There's not much in between. His focus is entirely on himself. He doesn't take into consideration other people at all. That is actually the reason why I'm still scared of him today. It might be a bit difficult to understand for those people who don't know him, but he is obsessive when it comes to his enemies and he has quite extreme revenge fantasies, some of them of a really violent nature. And if the circumstances were right, he, I think he's still dangerous. I base that on the fact that um, all the years he's never accepted responsibility uh, for what he did, but at the same time he's manipulated all the evidence to make it look as though he's innocent, so he knows exactly what he's doing. I agree with what Terry said, and I remember after I'd been kicked off the team, so I was kicked out in March, and then in April there was still sort of like a loose contact. By then I knew that obviously He's a killer. And I got really scared because <laughs> he has very violent fantasies, which he's um, actually elaborated on emails. For example, um, he once wrote about the Department of Forensic Science that everyone should be shot with an AK-47. So based on that, after I'd left the team and I'd read Terry's report and I'd also the, you know, the entire, the grand scheme of things, I got really scared because I thought, he knows everything about me. He's got my private address, he's got my work address, he's got, he's got everything. And I got really frightened. Andrew Hamill thinks that the only way for Zuring to really be free is for him to finally take responsibility for his actions. I mean, what I'd say is that for your own sake, for the sake of your soul, and for the sake of your reintegration into society on an honest basis, you should admit that you killed those people because you did, and the evidence is all against you, and uh, admit it, and also admit that you have been lying and misleading people about it for the past couple of decades, and make amends and apologies to the people whose reputations you have needlessly harmed, and then just, you know, humans are a forgiving species, People will understand that you were under the pressure to do the things you did. You thought that was the only choice you had at the time. But uh, I would say that that's the only way to go forward in a legitimate and honest manner and think about it and reflect on it. Psychologist Klaus Antons says that human beings are able to live for a long time with a self-construed version of reality, even if this version has little in common with the facts. If you tell yourself something enough times, then your subconscious, which keeps pushing you towards some kind of conflict, some reconciliation will eventually give in. So when the self-image of, I didn't do it, I'm innocent, is rewarded the way it is currently among his supporters, well, then he probably won't start experiencing any doubts anytime soon. But I think, at the latest when he's a bit older and nearing the end of his life, 
that's when I suspect he'll revisit the topic. Let's say he might take a more nuanced stance on guilt and innocence instead of just saying, I didn't do it. That would be the ideal outcome. At the time of this recording, Jens Zuring is still claiming that he spent 33 years behind bars in the United States for a crime that he did not commit. And yet, he remains guilty as charged. It's not the hugest issue in the world, of course, but every lie that gets published and, ex- and accepted, you know, detracts a little bit from the honesty of public discourse. And so as long as Yin Zering is dripping this poison into the water system, I will be there to try to get those drops of water and filter them out. Quiet Voices Zuring's story continues to harm one person in particular. However, there is one thing that did annoy me a little bit, and that was the fact that he ended up being released on the same day as Elizabeth Hasem. And yet she was she got a lesser sentence, was convicted of being an accessory before the fact, not the actual murderer, and yet he got released at the same time as her. And I don't think that was what the judge intended. She got 90 years, 45 years on each murder consecutive, and he got two life sentences. And I think Judge Sweeney thought that he would do maybe five years longer than her or whatever. But in reality, what's happened is because Jan Sering has a a strong following of very influential people in Germany and in America, as soon as he was released, he was put into the custody of um, their immigration authorities and all the paperwork and everything was rushed through, and he was home for Christmas. Elizabeth Hasem, and I'm not sticking up for Elizabeth, but Elizabeth Hasem, uh, released on the same day, ended up doing maybe two, three months more time in prison than he did <laughs> for a lesser sentence. Elizabeth Hasem does not grant interviews. She avoids the public eye. After being deported to Canada, she has reportedly changed her name. In prison, she learned to translate books into Braille. Once in November 2019, shortly before her release, she sent a written statement from prison to the website zuringguiltyischarged.com. In it, she expresses a great deal of remorse and asks that her family be left in peace. Not in the smallest way that they deserve their horrible deaths, and I beg forgiveness if I have ever, in any sense, implied that they were to blame for the choices I made. Selfishness and the toxic dynamics of my relationship with Jens, my own weak passivity, were at the root of my role in the crime. Ultimately, I was part of the problem and fully deserved punishment. I have been angry and deeply frustrated by the warped reality Jens has built around our relationship and around our crime. But in the ascetic cocoon of prison I have been getting on with my life. While at the same time my family has had no safe heaven and no closure. Therefore, I ask you, in the midst of the melodrama of finger pointing and blaming, in all the talk of pardons and parole, of who deserves what, to spare a quiet, gentle thought for all the victims, the truly innocent. In the meantime, Annabelle has been able to put some distance between herself and Jens Zuring. 
For me personally, it's absolutely brilliant that I'm far, far away from the Jens media circus that is happening. I don't want to hear anything about it. So, as is quite evident, Jens Zöring's strategy is to discredit those people who publicly speak out against him and against his innocence claim in an effort to try and set the record straight. So, I would really like listeners of the podcast to know that my own credibility is completely irrelevant here because everything that I have said um, is verified by evidence, you know, such as documents and emails and public information. So my own credibility doesn't play a role here. What remains are the facts of the case. And there is no arguing with those facts. Nowadays, I think that um, those books written by Jens uh, that deal with a case... They belong in the fairy tale section of a bookstore. They don't belong in the true crime or non-fiction aisle. I'll definitely not be reading his newest book. I won't even see it in the bookshops here because no one has heard of Jens Zöring here. No one knows Jens Zöring. And actually, no one cares about Jens Zöring. When Annabelle says over here, she's referring to London. However, the idea that no one in the UK has ever heard of Jens Zöring could soon change. Netflix is planning to release a documentary series about the case in 2022-2023. Furthermore, in January 2022, it was announced that a true crime TV series is currently in the works. In an article about the latter, Variety magazine writes that the search for the truth continues and that new DNA evidence has pointed to the presence of two unidentified men at the crime scene. Marcus Vetter, one of the directors of Killing for Love, is also involved in the project. The Variety article quotes Vetter as saying that a fictional series, as he calls it, opens up a new narrative scope. In addition to increased awareness... This massive platform not only means that Zuring can tell his version of the story to an even larger audience, but could also result in additional sources of income for him. Naturally, this podcast will also bring attention to his story. However, with the help of in-depth interviews, countless documents, case files, and recordings, our aim has been to shine a light on the story of a supposedly innocent victim of justice. After all, it's important to remember. It will affect the people who are genuinely locked up who are innocent. In the case of the murders of Nancy and Derek Hasem, a clear verdict was reached. At the same time, there are significant gaps and contradictions in the public perception of the case in Germany. Jens Zuring was released from prison on parole. Therefore, this podcast not only asks whether or not Jens Zuring is guilty or innocent, but above all, takes a closer look at how Zuring is consistently able to propagate both the claims of his own innocence, as well as his accusations against others with little to no criticism or pushback. Annabelle, Terry Wright, and Andrew Hamill have all spoken out and have carefully pointed out clues that reveal the Zuring system for what it really is, a construct that is characterized by manipulation and control. 
a number of Zuring supporters were contacted for this podcast. Unfortunately, no one from the so-called Circle of Friends was willing to grant us an interview. Neither Süddeutsche Zeitung journalist Karin Steinberger nor filmmaker Markus Feta responded to our requests for an interview. Nor did best-selling author John Grisham, actor Martin Sheen, or producer Jason Flom. Television host Marcus Lanz and German philosopher Richard David Precht would not grant us an interview. We are not permitted to include Precht's comments here. Jens Zuring himself did not respond to our request for an interview or our request for comment. The Zuring System, Episode 8 of 8, Control. Our narrator is Karen Cifarelli. You also heard the voice talents of Sungor Bentor, Celine De Janeiro, Michelle Glick, Jeffrey Middleman, Michael S. Rozinski, Seamus Sargent, Anna-Katrine Thüringer, Producers, Dr. Alice Brauner and Johanna Beere. Research Editor and Director, Katharina Rahn. Assistant Director, Natalie Ladermann. Writers, Jana Bach, Lucia Knollhuber, Regina Lechner, and Katharina Rahn. Sound Editing, Sound Design, and Music, Yasha Grunewald. Studios, We Are Producers, 10-7 Ton Studio, Sound and Song Studio Berlin. Production, Sabina Reichelt. Research and Editorial Assistants, Felicia Bayer and Natalie Ladermann. Translation by Rachel Toka. Graphic Design and Assistant Sound Editor, Konstantin Gramala. Mm-hmm.